Hello. Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in his gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. Once again, good morning, Downtown Hope. I'm excited that we can once again uh, continue in our series, uh, Press On Through the Book of Philippians. Uh, depending on when you're uh, tuning in, whether it's Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, whether it's the day after or later in the week, uh, one thing is evident. And so as in preparing, in preparing for this, uh, I was asking, should I, I sh- or shouldn't I talk about politics. I mean, this week is the election. Well, interestingly enough, uh, guess what word shows up in our passage this morning? Well, you read the Greek, the word is politeuma. It's where we get, there's a stem, polity, politics. So, So like it or not, our passage actually has this word. Uh, But in Philippians chapter 3, it's translated citizenship. And so Paul is going to address what it is, what our responsibilities are as citizens. But citizens of what? Citizens of who? Well, it all depends on where your allegiance is. And so this morning, I want to read from Philippians chapter 3. We'll start from verses 16, and we'll read through chapter 4, verse 1. So Philippians 3, uh, beginning at verse 16, and I'll lead us to verse 4. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1, and it reads as follows. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, and with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Chapter 4, verse 1, therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, what a delight it is for us to center our attention on you. So Lord, as we spend time in your word, as we spend time focused on you, would you settle our hearts on what it means to stand firm, where it is our our citizenship is, and where our allegiance ultimately should be. I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, we've been making our way through the book of Philippians. If you remember, when we began and opened up this book, we understand the church at Philippi to be partners in the gospel. They've been laboring for the Lord, but they're beginning to face hardships. They're beginning to face persecution from the outside and persecution from the inside. 
And, and I don't know about you, but I don't like facing hardships. I don't like to be disappointed. I don't like those seasons of life where it just gets difficult. It's like the world we live in today with the COVID-19. It's like, man, this is a tough time, and I don't like it. And oftentimes when it gets rough and discouraged, I feel like get it, giving up. It's like this, uh, this, this tough time is testing what I believe. And so Paul is encouraging the church at Philippi, and he's encouraging us this morning, don't give up. You remember, chapter 1, he who began a good work is faithful. God is going to follow through. God is going to keep his promise. But the question for the church at Philippi and the question for us, will we be faithful to our promise? And so when tough times come, when we face disappointment, when we face discouragement, what do we do? Paul says, stand firm in the Lord by holding true to what we've attained. In other words, stay true to what you've promised. Don't give up. Hold on. So here you have Paul who's faced persecution. Here you have Paul sitting in a prison cell, and he's saying, guys, follow me. Imitate me. Don't give up. It's worth it. Hold on. He says there's a, a right way and a wrong way to walk. So if you remember, a few weeks ago we shared, looking at the beginning of chapter 3, and I said from the prison cell, it's like Paul was saying, who let the dogs out? Well, well, today Paul is saying, you better walk it like I talk it. Did you see it in verse 17? He says, there is a right way to walk. He says, imitate me, and not just me, there are others. Look at chapter four, uh, chapter 3, verse 17. He says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. You see, when you read the Scripture, there's, this, there's this, uh, this, this, this talk about how we walk. And oftentimes when the Scriptures talk about how we walk, it's talking about our lives. It's talking about our relationship with God. And when you read the Scriptures, you begin to see the heroes of the faith were affirmed because of their walk. The Bible tells us of Enoch. He walked with God. He pleased God through his walk. We, we learn of Noah that he was righteous man and he walked with God. Of Abraham, God commanded him and said, walk before me. Even the people of Israel were promised God's blessing if they kept God's commands and walked with him. And so there is a right way to walk. But if there's a right way to walk, then it makes sense that there's also a wrong way to walk. And Paul would say that those that are walking, walking the wrong way are actually enemies of the cross. Verse 18, it says, For many of whom I've told you often, and I now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. So on this journey of life, as we are walking, Paul places a fork in the road, and he says we must make a radical choice about which way we're going to walk. There's two different options. There's one, a Christ-centered walk, and there's also a self-centered walk. Paul is saying we need to surround ourselves with positive examples of the right walk. I mean, this is why at Downtown Hope we encourage to jump into community. This is why we're, we're beginning discipleship bands. We need to surround ourselves with positive influences of the right walk because negative influences clamor for our attention and it leads to destruction. 
And so when Paul speaks to those who are walking contrary to the way of the cross in pursuit of their own selfishness or in pursuit of their own selfish interest, he's speaking with tears. He's weeping. You remember chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 16, he says, hold true to what we've attained. So there is something we've attained. We've made a promise to God. He said their lifestyle, the way we're walking, the way they're walking, it's like they're denying that promise. And hence, they become enemies with the cross. And he says this with tears. They're giving up on the promise they made at the cross because of the hardships because of the disappointments, because of the difficulties they face. So again, depending on how you understand, but if the cross, if what Jesus accomplished is this this proposal, this divine uh, bridegroom coming down, pledging his love for his bride, if that is true, then the response of us to Christ at the cross is, I do. We're making a promise to him as he made a promise to us. But if we turn from that promise, if we begin to walk away because of hardships, if we become discouraged because of the difficulties we face and begin to walk contrary, it's paramount to adultery. Hence, Paul says, it leads you to destruction. We've walked, we're walking away from what we've attained. Of these, he says, their God isn't the God most high, it's the God belly. He says their God is the belly. And so the aim of life for this person is for the most part to gratify their flesh. For the enemies of the cross, appetite has become our master. Our minds, our hearts are simply slaves of appetite. So Christopher West, he, he brings this out in such a magnificent way, talking about the deep down desires that all of us have. He said, deep down on the inside, we long for all that is true. We long for all that is good. We long for all that is beautiful. Each of us lives our lives with this inextinguishable expectation that life is supposed to make sense, that life is supposed to satisfy us. So every single person, whoever you are, there's this innate thing on the inside that you say things are supposed to make sense. And when things don't make sense, we need good news. And so what Christopher West says, one gospel or one aspect of good news is whatever that desire is, suppress it. Starve yourself of that desire. Any desire that you have is absolutely wrong. Starve it. And so many of us that grew grew up in the church maybe know what that feels like to suppress the desire. And so I dare ask, how's that working out for you? But for for, for some, if it's not starving yourselves, he says, the, the other good news is, man, take whatever you see. It's like a fast food restaurant. You take everything before you, and literally you're never satisfied. So you live your life. I live my life saying, I want more, I want more, I want more. I'm not satisfied. And this is what is happening in Philippians chapter 3, those he calls enemies of the cross. Because they look no further for rest than what's before them. They settle down, or we settle down in this plague-stricken land, And we don't have a wide enough view of the world we live in. And so if the answer isn't starving myself and suppressing these desires, if the answer isn't go after everything, what is the answer? He says there is a banquet that is to come. That deep down on the inside, when we face discouragement, when we face disappointment, it should create a hunger in us for something more. 
And that something more isn't necessarily something we're going to get in the here and now, but it's creating an expectation. And this is where the gospel sheds light, that there is a banquet coming. There is a consummation of this age. We, the bride of Christ, we have a groom coming, and there is this expectation. So every pain, every sorrow, every disappointment thrusts us further into this reality for that which is to come. This is why perhaps the psalmist said in Psalm 63, verse 1, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Friends, if we're honest, that's where so many of us are. But the psalmist is trying to pivot us to see wider than what's before us, to see the reality of the world we're in, that there's a hunger for him. So there's a right walk, and there's a wrong walk. And so how do we actually get on the right path? Paul says it's determined by where our ultimate allegiance is. He says we got to recognize that we're citizens of heaven. And so Paul encourages the small church in Philippi to stand firm in the Lord. And in thus standing firm, they're showing their ultimate allegiance to Christ and not Caesar. And again, if I would have shared this maybe a year or two ago, I would have said they're showing their ultimate faith in Christ. But no, I think faith, I don't think we understand in our, in our culture today to say, place your faith in Christ. It's like we're saying, hey, have this mental assent to the truths of Jesus. But at the end of the day, it fills our head with information, but there's no power to transform lives, let alone transform the culture we're living in. This is why so many can hold their Bibles up in the air and proclaim truths from Scripture, but they walk as, low, as though these truths have no bearing on their lives. But with the word allegiance, it won't allow us to do that. We have to wholeheartedly give ourselves to the one who's given himself to us. This is why Paul says in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship, he's saying with force, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the reality of the lives we live, is that if we're citizens of heaven, there's this essence where we ought to feel like strangers and pilgrims here. Just as a citizen of a foreign country does not feel at home, so too ought heavenly citizens not feel at home on earth. We recognize a certain strangeness in the environment we live in. Deep down on the inside, we know this is not how things ought to be. This is why so many would say that uh, Christians are exiles. We are outsiders looking at this is not home. And so knowing that this is not home, it creates a hunger and a desire for something more to which Paul says, we await Paul redirects the focus of his readers from the saviors in Rome to the Savior in heaven, Jesus Christ the Lord. See, the enemies of the cross, they followed their natural inclinations as residents in Philippi, and they looked to the emperor of Rome to save them. They looked to the emperor of Rome to solve their problems, to satisfy their appetites, to rescue them from their trouble, and to protect them from danger. Friends, who are we looking to for help? In your area of disappointment, what, what, what happened to you was unexpected. Where are you turning to? Paul says our citizenship 
is in heaven. So Paul calls, stand firm, hold true to what we've attained, look to Jesus. This is our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to ask you this morning, are you waiting for your Savior? Like if we were to just stop the, the filming right now, is there a longing in your heart for him? Do we as a collective body long for him? To go back to the bride, bridegroom, are we the bride waiting for that great day when we come together with the groom? And that's the expectation, that's the hope, that's the waiting. Paul says, man, I'm going to stand firm, I'm going to hold true to my promise because he's made a promise, and I'm waiting for that day. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, his righteousness. And so what do we do in the meantime? He says we're citizens of heaven, and so again, you talked to me five, six, seven years ago, I thought to be a citizen of heaven means, man, I can't wait to get out of this lousy place called earth. What, I need to get to heaven as soon as possible. I felt like, I felt like a, a tourist stranded in a foreign country screaming, get me out of here as soon as you can. But friends, this is exactly what Paul is saying, don't do. See, all those citizens of Rome living in Philippi have no desire to move back to Rome. You see, rather, what they want as Roman citizens is to create or cultivate, I should say, the values, the culture, the beauty of Rome in Philippi. See, about 100 years before Paul pens this letter, there's a civil war going on in Philippi. And the Romans win, and so they've won. What do you do with all these soldiers? You don't send them back to Rome. There's, There's no space. It'd be overcrowded. And so they make Philippi a colony, and they leave the soldiers there, and they give them one task. Bring the reality of Rome, bring it to Philippi. The values, the culture, the language, one task, bring the life of Rome to Philippi. And so when Paul writes this, we are citizens of heaven, it would resonate with every person hearing that, and I pray it resonates with us. That we, in the same way as citizens in heaven, for them living in Philippi, for us living in Annapolis, wherever we are, we are charged by Paul to press on. We are charged by Paul to cultivate the value, the culture, the consciousness, and the beauty of heaven. We are called to cultivate that here in Annapolis. Said even more simply, we are called to show this world what life can be like because of him. And in cultivating the culture of heaven here on earth, they in Philippi know, we should know here now in Annapolis that one day Christ is coming and he will show up to bring the fullness of this kingdom in Philippi, his kingdom in Annapolis, bring his kingdom in fullness in Maryland, in the United States, in this world. Maybe this is why we say, thy will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. So, so maybe you're going to be, maybe you're beginning to see why downtown hope has this vision of seeing gospel transformation 
in the city of Annapolis. Maybe it's because there's this understanding that the values, the culture of heaven, it is our opportunity, it is our desire to see it take place where we live. So Paul says, imitate those who have their eyes on him. Paul says, solidify where your allegiance is. Paul says, stand firm. So the church at Philippi is challenged. And I I dare say we too are challenged to reimagine what it looks like to cultivate the reality of heaven as citizens of heaven, what it means to cultivate that here on earth. So Paul says in conclusion, therefore, my brothers whom I love and I long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Downtown hope, press on, stand firm. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Father, you are faithful. You will follow through. You who began a good work, it is, you are more than able to see us through. Uh, but throughout this book, we are challenged to press on. And so in the same way, Lord, uh, I want to give us pause just that you might speak to our hearts and what it looks like for us as a church family, for us as a community to bring the reality of heaven here on earth. May our hope be ever in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.